Well, uh, we're slowly working our way through 1 Corinthians. We are in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, hopefully going to get through verses 10 and 11 today. Uh, not getting in a hurry here, not, not trying to, uh, you know, out, outrun anybody. We're just looking at what Scripture has said. And the passage is, or the, or the paragraph is one of verses 10 through 15. That's a paragraph that should be examined altogether. And so today is the part one of the message. Next week will be part two. Next week we'll get into the judgment aspect, the Christian's future judgment in particular, and talk about uh, what that will look like. But today we're going to focus on the foundation of Christ and what it means to build on Christ. If you've been following along with this series, then you know last week, uh, as Tyler preached through verses uh, 5 through 9, Paul was giving the analogy of planting. He was giving a, a farming analogy in this passage, talking about how the Corinthian church was the field of God, and that there are some who plant and some who water. In this case, Paul was the one who planted seeds among them, and Apollos was the one who came along and watered. But God was the one who gives the increase. And then we see in verse 9 that he changes the analogy pretty abruptly. It seems as though he just completely pivots out of nowhere. He says, you are God's field. And then he says, God's building. And what's going to happen now, and the verses we'll look at today, is he's going to use the analogy of a building to describe the church there at Corinth. And as he's doing this, just as he was in his farming analogy... He is going to show that man must decrease and the Lord Jesus Christ must increase. Man must be laid low and the Lord Jesus Christ must be exalted. The Corinthians, of course, were bickering over which man should be most highly exalted. Who was the wisest? Who was the one that should stick out as the the wisest among them? Who should they prescribe as the wisest of all? And Paul is going to continually, in these first few chapters, he's going to continually Tell them, man must decrease. It's not about man, it's about the beauty and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, what he's doing here now in these verses is describing their church as... And last year, um, in September of last year, boy, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? September of 2019, we did a a four-part sermon series giving just a a big overview of the book of Ephesians, talking about the way that the church is described in that book. And the very first sermon in that series was titled, The Church is a Building. Now, you're hopefully used to correcting people that the church is not a building. The church isn't the the wood and the uh, stucco and the drywall and everything that's in the walls. That's not the church. The church is people. The church you and me, together, here in this place as a local expression of the body of Christ. We are redeemed saints because of the work of Jesus, and He has called us into His family. That's the church. Yet we see in multiple places in the New Testament, the church is described as a building by way of analogy. The church is described as a building just as an analogy, and that's what's happening here. The church is a building for the sake of this illustration. And in that sermon from 2019, that ancient, ancient sermon from 14 months ago, 15 months ago, whatever it is, um, 
what I discussed in that message was that the blueprints for this building of the church is the gospel of Jesus. If we're going to follow that illustration, if we're going to think through that analogy, the blueprints of the building are the gospel. And the end result of that building is His workmanship. His workmanship. You know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's not works, but it's by faith. The very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, for you all, it's a plural you, for you all are His workmanship. So as God is building His church and we understand the illustration of the building, as we step back and look, what has God built? His workmanship by His very hand. The church exists because of the work of God. And He is still building this building, isn't He? There were generations before us who thought maybe He was drawing to a close, but we are a living testimony that God is still building His church. Jesus is still building His church as He promised. We are living proof of that. And what's amazing, astounding, it should just blow our minds, we could stop the message and just sit here and ponder this for the rest of the day, is that He lives here while He builds. He's not merely a guy that's driving to a construction site each day and then he goes home. He's not, he's not someone who's checking in on how things are going. He is actively building moment by moment and he is always present with us. We are coming upon the Christmas season and Jesus is named Emmanuel, God with us. As he is building his church, he is right here with us. We have the continual fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God himself. So we find that we are a building, we are materials of this building. Where did he find these materials? Well, from the dump heap, of course. <laughs> we weren't sitting as brand new pieces of material on a shelf somewhere. We were chewed up, used pieces of material in the dump, and we liked it there. We liked the filth, and yet he went to the dump and he found us as miserable as we were. And He made us new creations, didn't He? He made us new, and then He put us into this building that He continues to build. And we find here in this passage today and in other places in Scripture that the foundation of this building is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this with me in the book of Ephesians. So keep your finger here, but turn back, or turn forward rather, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. We are the building, and Jesus Christ is the foundation. The last four verses of Ephesians chapter 2 describe this same illustration, starting with Ephesians 2 verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. What an amazing passage. We are God's building. We have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone. 
The church began in the New Testament. There is no church in the Old Testament. There's the nation of Israel. And they were called out from all the nations of the earth, but they were not the church as we know it today. The church as we know it today is a purely new covenant phenomenon, purely New Testament, because it starts with the work of Jesus Christ. And you see here in Ephesians 2 and in verse 20 that included in that foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone are apostles and prophets, these two New Testament offices. The office of apostle is, of course, purely in the New Testament, and the term prophet that's used here, what's in view, is New Testament prophets. The church began in the New Covenant after the death of Christ, and part of that foundation of what Jesus did was establish apostles and prophets upon which we would be built. And when you think about the work of apostles and prophets, we still have that work with us today, don't we? We have the Holy Scriptures. God used His apostles and prophets to write down the very words He wanted them to write down. And so as a church that exists to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, we can say that our foundation is Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures because we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And that's our belief at Orchard Hills Bible Church. That's our passion is Jesus Christ and the Word of God because that's our foundation. Without that foundation, we cease to exist. The person and work of Jesus Christ is central to it all. And you see that term cornerstone there, and you might not know uh, what a cornerstone was in that culture. It seems like I've learned this 15 times because I always learn it and then I forget how it actually plays out. Um, But I'm going to read to you a definition from one of my favorite websites, uh, gotquestions.org. It's a trustworthy website, and it succinctly sums up the purpose of a cornerstone when it comes to a foundation. Since ancient times, builders have used cornerstones in their construction projects. A cornerstone was the principal stone, usually placed at the corner of an edifice to guide the workers in their course. The cornerstone was usually one of the largest, the most solid, and the most carefully constructed of any edifice. The Bible describes Jesus as the cornerstone that His church would be built upon. He is foundational. Once the cornerstone was set, it became the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining construction. Everything was aligned to it. As the cornerstone of the building of the church, Jesus is our standard of measure and alignment. I thought that was a good summation of what it really means that Jesus is the cornerstone. We see it on Uh, You know, some businesses are titled that. We see it um, in church names. We sing it in songs. But let's remember what it is, that Jesus is the standard and measure of all that we do in the church. Uh, Cornerstones, of course, were vital for them. And we have standards of measurement today that are very vital for us. Uh, Here in the last couple of weeks, the Stuckers have started to finish their basement. And Because I finished my basement and I'm now a certified master carpenter, uh, people are always coming to me with their with their questions and needs. (laughs) Uh, No, I I got by with much help, and I forgot I've forgotten a lot of what I learned already. But uh, we were talking about framing out the basement and uh, getting that started, and I told Dean that I don't think I want to be involved with putting up some of the first walls because I'm afraid if you get that first wall out of square the other ones will probably follow. Uh, that getting those first walls up in, in the right way, making sure they're square and straight and everything is, is very important. 
And in that way, the cornerstone is what guides the church. The cornerstone must be perfect if the church is going to grow in purity and in maturity. And Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our perfect alignment. He's perfectly set that we would grow from there. And what the Corinthians were doing, now transitioning back to the book of Corinthians, what they were doing at that church in Corinth was they were looking to substitute the cornerstone. They were looking to substitute the foundation of the church for something worldly. The Corinthians wanted to exchange the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone. They wanted to exchange that for earthly wisdom. And that's come up several times in this book, hasn't it? It's the Greek word sophia, means wisdom. They prized wisdom over all other things, particularly a carnal, earthly, fallen wisdom. And Paul here is rebuking them and warning them that they need to keep Jesus Christ as the foundation. Look at verse 11 again with me. Paul states plainly, "...for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." His point here is that not only is Jesus Christ the foundation, but Jesus Christ is the foundation alone. No one and nothing else can be that foundation, including the church including the wisdom that we collectively muster together. That cannot be the foundation, but Jesus Christ alone is the foundation of the church. The church itself, of course, is God's building. It's a pillar and support of the truth, Scripture says. But the church is not the foundation of the church. The church has to look outside of herself for its foundation. And you can think about wayward movements that exist and false religions that exist, they always want to point to their church as the foundation, that the church is the foundation of the church. But that is simply not the case. The person and work of Jesus Christ and His holy scriptures are the foundation of the church. That is what we rest on. That's what we're built upon. Jesus Christ is the foundation. And foundations should not be laid again, meaning we don't need more foundations, more apostles and prophets, more scriptures, or more saviors. But instead, we have our foundation once for all, don't we? And we are secure in our foundation. It's immovable. The church is built on it. The church is the building atop the foundation. And we don't invite the world to a church, therefore, but we invite the world to a Savior. We invite the world to meet Jesus through His Scriptures. We call the world to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We point people to the Lord. We don't point people to a church. We point people to the foundation. Now, of course, some foundations are poured badly. We need to consider this illustration. Not all foundations have been poured well. Some of us may live in homes where foundations weren't poured perfectly. And that happens, doesn't it? In the same way, a missionary or a self-proclaimed preacher of the Word might roll into a town and pour a bad foundation in planting some sort of church, a false gospel or close to the gospel but leaving some important things out. We have to have the true Jesus preached to have a good foundation. And we also know in our building of sometimes a foundation can be poured really well and there's nothing wrong with the foundation, but the builders who come after it don't exactly do a great job. Have you experienced that in some of your homes? (laughs) 
Or do we have any finished carpenters here who know the work of subsequent builders on foundations? <laughs> there can be work done after a good foundation is laid where the rest of the home doesn't really become worthless, but it becomes really bad because of the work that was done after. And that's Paul's message here to them. He laid a good foundation. He gave them Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 10 again. He says, according to the grace of God which was given me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. And that's the way it should happen. Foundations aren't meant to be left alone. There's more to build. There's the rest of the home to be constructed. Concern with the Corinthians wasn't that they had a bad foundation, but his concern was that they were building on it in a careless way, in a poor way, in a way that could end up ruining the house itself. And Paul's argument to this point has been Jesus only, not man. Look back at chapter 2, verse 2 with me. What was Paul's heart when he laid the foundation? What, was, what were his plans when he went about laying the foundation? It says in chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the foundation, and the rest of the house is to be in accordance with that foundation. You can't build whatever floor plan you want on top of a foundation that's already been laid, right? <laughs> You ha you're, you're stuck with that foundation, for better or worse. And when it comes to Jesus Christ, it's the best that we're stuck with Him, and we are to stick with Him, and it's the best thing that we can do as the church is to build on Jesus Christ. So if we're grasping this imagery, we need to consider how this plays out in the world, because God doesn't just call us a building, but He calls us to build. He calls us to actively build on this foundation. We are to invest in building the church as instruments in Jesus' hand. Paul said again in verse 10 that it was according to the grace of God that he laid a foundation, according to God's grace. Everything that Paul did, he recognized it was by the grace of God. Any gift that he had, any opportunity that he had, any, anything that was in his life, it was according to the grace of God, and this was no different. And he was equipped by God's grace to be a wise master builder, it says. The Greek word that he uses there is essentially the word architect. It's where we get our word architect from. And a wise architect, of course, had the responsibility of setting the course. A wise architect had to strategize in a godly way. And Paul set a godly course for them, and now he's insisting that they stay true. He was a mix of a strategic architect and a general contractor as he's looking at how they're building and he's directing them in their building, that they would stay true to the foundation. We live in uh, a valley full of lots of building right now, don't we? Everywhere you turn, there are new neighborhoods, and we are very familiar now with the term spec home, aren't we? <laughs> Maybe if uh, you're from the country in mid-Missouri like I am, you don't know what a spec home is. You've never heard that term. But here, where neighborhoods are going up so much, we are familiar with the term that there are standard homes that are uh, designed in a certain way for the benefit of the builder and the benefit of the purchaser, and they'll make a whole bunch of those same types of homes, even all in a row sometimes, and you can tell that every house was the same. And in that way, Paul, as a missionary, as a first century missionary going about into new cities, he was laying foundations for spec homes. 
Do you think his foundation ever changed? Do you think his design for what he desired for the churches ever changed? Certainly not. He had one plan, Jesus Christ alone, and they were to build on Jesus alone. He went about laying foundations over and over again from town to town. And the foundation is that initial proclamation of the gospel, the initial proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to lay the foundation, is to preach Jesus and to see people converted to Him as you invite people to the cornerstone. You're laying a foundation and you're planting seeds. Up on the screen will be Romans 15.20, a different letter that Paul wrote to a different church, and you can see his use of the term in the same way here. He said, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. The foundation is the proclamation, the initial proclamation of Jesus Christ. And Paul's ministry was to be the first one to do it, to go into a town and be the first one to lay a foundation. He said to the Romans, if someone had already done it, um, I wasn't looking to build on that foundation. He was going to places where Christ had not yet been named. That was his his passion. And it's clear from the usage there and the usage in 1 Corinthians 3 that it's the same idea as planting seeds. If you look back with me at verse 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, this is where Paul says he planted. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one causing the growth. So as we think about laying a foundation, it's the same as planting a seed. And as we think about watering the planted seed, it's the same as building on top of the foundation, which Apollos was therefore uh, to do at a time, uh, for a time. And this initial proclamation of the good news, like I said earlier, was meant to be built upon. A foundation that just sits there and is never built upon is a pretty sad sight, isn't it? It's all there. It's ready to, to go on to the next step, and then it just sits there and sits there and sits there. The foundation was, wasn't to stay in its state, but it was to grow up into an actual building. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews to see this. The book of Hebrews chapter 5, toward the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11. And we'll go into chapter 6, verse 3. Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. The foundation was basic. The initial proclamation of the gospel was basic and meant to be built upon. I read this passage a couple of weeks ago. Here in verse 11, there's reference to Melchizedek and how Jesus is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then it says in verse 11, "...concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food." For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. 
Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The writer to the church there, the church made up of Hebrews, the writer says, let's not lay a foundation again. There are basic principles that are meant to be built upon. Now, I'm saying built upon and not moved on from. Should we ever move from our foundation? No, because our foundation is Jesus Christ, right? And His Word, and if we are to say, you're to move on from those things, well, then what do we have left? There's nothing left. So in the same way, you never move on from the basic principles of math, but you move on to trigonometry and calculus and all of those things. So we are to move on in our faith. We are to mature in our faith, and we are to build upon the foundation of the basic principles of the gospel. We're to build upon that initial proclamation of the gospel. Can you imagine if some wise mathematician said, I'm so glad I don't need that addition and subtraction stuff anymore. I've moved on, right? He hasn't moved on, he's just developed it. It's, it's been deepened. His understanding of the principles of math has grown. But he hasn't moved on from those basic principles. So Paul's laying of a foundation in Corinth was an introduction to gospel principles. And I know around here that phrase, gospel principles, can mean something different, but you have to understand what it means in a biblical sense. The biblical gospel principles that we have through Jesus Christ and His finished work. And this laying of a foundation is an irreversible work of God through His people. The foundation can't be torn down when God sends one of His people to go into a place and lay a foundation through that initial proclamation and conversion. It's irreversible. Once the foundation is laid, there's no uh, spiritual illustration for an excavator that can come and tear it up. There is no excavator that can tear up God's laying of a foundation. But it is permanent and it is fixed. As God gathers the scraps from the dump through His former dump scraps, He's putting us together for permanent use as He builds His church. Even as some seek to destroy the building from the outside or from the inside and to tear apart the foundation, it could never be done because it is God's work. Up on the screen will be 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, 16 through 19, where Paul wrote to this young pastor saying, Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So even as people creep into the church and try to destroy the church, the promise is the firm foundation stands. The firm foundation can never be destroyed or removed because the Lord knows who are His. It's the Lord's work. It's God's electing work to save people through the message of His only Son. God uses His people to reach people who are His. God is building His building, and 
It is unmoved. It remains unmoved. So now, as stewards of His grace, as those who have been incorporated into His building, we are now to build on that foundation of Jesus Christ. And in this endeavor, we must be careful. Look at verse 10 with me again. 1 Corinthians 3.10, look at the last part of that verse. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. In this endeavor, we have to be careful. It could be translated here where it says careful. It could be translated take heed. Each one of us needs to watch out, be cautious about how we proceed with building on this foundation. And it is to happen. We're not allowed to opt out. We're not allowed to say, let's just let the foundation be the foundation and let's all just sit over here on the side. The foundation is to be built upon, and it's to be built upon by God's people. As we are stewards of His gifts, as we are stewards of His Word, we are to be actively building on the foundation. It is our duty as ambassadors for Christ and as members of His body. This is concerned with the how, not the if. For Paul, it wasn't a question of if. If you are going to participate in building, then you need to be careful. It's not what it says. It says you need to be careful because it's assumed as a believer you are actively involved in the body of Christ, seeking to build on the foundation. It's in the present tense. It's in the active sense. It's something we do presently. Building on the foundation, not a matter of if, but a matter of how. And we find out in this passage, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly today, and we'll talk about it more next week. We find out in this passage that what we build with is going to go through the fire. There is a judgment of fire coming, and what we build with will pass through the fire. Look at verse 12 with me. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. There's a fire and all the materials will go through the fire. I don't know if I want to preach next week. Uh, that's, a, that's a frightening thought in many ways. I will say that it does seem that Paul has the Corinthian church leadership especially in view here as he talks about this. But it's true that all of us as Christians are participating in the building of the church and all of us will face judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. John MacArthur says this, Each man primarily refers to the evangelists, pastors, and teachers who continued to build on the foundation laid by the apostles. These are given special and the most direct responsibility for teaching Christian doctrine. But the context makes it clear that a broader and more inclusive application is also in mind. The numerous references to each man and any man indicate that the principle applies to every believer. All of us, by what we say and do, to some extent, teach. No Christian has the right to be careless in representing the Lord and His Word. Every believer is to be a careful builder. We all have the same responsibility. And we'll talk more about that next week. (laughs) But as we think about judgment, 
and judgment that comes with fire. This is hardly a new concept in the Bible. It's not a novel concept for Paul either. There are passages in the Old Testament that talk about the future judgment of God that will incorporate fire in it. And I just want to read to you a couple passages. The first is from Zechariah, Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9. It says, "'It will come about in all the land,' declares the Lord, "'that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people.'" and they will say, the Lord is my God. Israel will face a judgment of fire in the same sense that the church will, though it's different. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 have the same idea. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. The church will go through a judgment of fire, Israel will go through a judgment of fire, and all people, even the wicked, will go through a judgment of fire. It's not a new concept in the Bible, but we have some specific context in 1 Corinthians 3 that we'll address next time. But before I close, let me leave you with this thought. Just as we are to invest in the building of the church as members of the church, what we're doing is really investing for eternity. And that's what's most important for each one of us, isn't it? Because all things are going to pass away. Paul has said it in this letter in, uh, in chapter 2. I don't have this one for the screen. It just came to mind. But he said in chapter 2, verse 6, We speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. The wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age are passing away. All things in this world are going to depart. They're going to die. They're going to vanish. There's going to be a fire for them, and it will all turn to ashes. But you know what won't turn to ashes? God's church and God's Word. The people of God who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ because of the finished work of Christ, and the Word of God preserved for us. You know how many cultures and nations and kings have tried to destroy this? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. We need to invest in eternity as eternally-minded Christians. Those who have been given eternal life, we need to invest for eternity, which means investing in each other, the church, work that will last, work that will survive the fire. We need to invest in the church, and we need to serve with the gifts God has given us. It's a major theme in the book of of 1 Corinthians, the gifts that God gives. And let me encourage you with this final thought, that we are strengthened as we do this. We are strengthened through the foundation of Jesus Christ as we... Ephesians chapter 3, 
verses 14 through 19. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up in, or may be filled up to all the fullness of God. As we serve together, as we invest in each other, as we serve in the church and seek to build on the foundation. We are strengthened, we are rooted, we are grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. We're encouraged in our spirits as we get together and sing songs together. Aren't you encouraged in your spirit? As we build and invest in eternity, we're strengthened in Christ, our foundation. Father, thank You. Thank You that You have given us a firm foundation. We have a firm foundation as your saints. We have it, we see it in your word, your excellent word, that we would be built upon Jesus Christ alone and we would remain unmoved. Thank you for your work in us, that it's by your purposes, it's according to your will, and it's for your glory that we are here and that we can things with an eternal perspective through the cross of Christ. Give us a passion this week to to build on that foundation, to be used by you to build the church, that we would reach out to the lost, that we would grab those tracks that we talked about earlier, and that we would give one to somebody and start a conversation. Give us the boldness to do that. And Lord, give us just an eye and an ear and a heart for each other, that we would see needs, that we would hear needs and that we would have a passion to fulfill those needs as we invest in each other for eternity. Give us more of your word that we would understand it better, that we'd be able to teach and to counsel, that we'd be competent to admonish every believer in Christ, that we would make that a priority because you are truly our foundation, never to be laid again, never to be removed that we might grow up and be strengthened in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.